Thank you, Ben. You'll take your Bibles out, and uh, if you'll take your Bibles out, if you'll if you'll take your Bibles out, hopefully somebody can get excited about having your Bible and being in God's Word today. If you'll get your Bibles out, now we're talking. And turn to Philippians. We continue in our series of messages. Uh, called Thrive. Man, we want to see people move beyond uh, just surviving in life to thriving in life. We want to see relationships move from just surviving to thriving. We want to see your workplace be a place where you just don't hold on until Friday. But it be a place that you can't wait to get there on Monday so you can live out a life that is light and salt even in your workplace. Even with those difficult people in the workplace that you can be living in a way uh, that is thriving not just surviving. It is, uh, it's been fun to read. I was sharing with our elders this morning that uh, I've set up a reading program uh, of scripture for myself where I'm, I'm reading over and over and over and over uh, certain texts. And if you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that. I'm not saying, because I'm, I, I'm not doing this, I'm not sitting down and studying, I'm just reading over and over and over. You'll be surprised at how familiar you will become with, with a text, with God's word, by just reading it over and over. You'll also be surprised that if you'll get prayed up before you start your reading, how God will speak to your heart. God will speak to you. His word is alive and active. That's why when we say at the beginning of, of each service, if you'll pull your Bibles out, man, we need to be excited because we are about to open up one of the most powerful forces in all the universe. God's holy, ancient words are alive. And man, I want life today. Anybody else? I want to be alive in the deepest places. I don't want to just be going through the motions of life, and I don't want that for you either. I want you to thrive, not just survive. And some of you work in very difficult circumstances. Some of you, some of you are going through things that I can't imagine how you, how you go about it without the power of God in your life. So I want to encourage you, just bite off a paragraph this week. Uh, of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so just pick a couple of paragraphs and over and over and over, just read it. It'll take you, it's going to occupy so much part of your day, so much time. I mean, it's going to take like three minutes to read through it. <laughs> so much. Let me encourage you to be in God's Word. We all need to read our Bibles more. Can I get an amen? Yeah, we do. Well, this week, we're turning a corner. We've been in chapter 1, and we've been looking at difficult times and, and how God uses them not only for our benefit, for the benefit of others as well. And, and we're all to have this attitude of gratitude. We're to stand side by side, and we're to strive together through these difficult things. Last week, I encouraged every single one of us to have a person in your life that will stand by your side through difficult times. And I want to come back and I want to touch on that. Do you have that person that when you're swimming through the deep end of the pool of life, 
You got somebody that's swimming with you. We, we don't necessarily need somebody to walk with us when we're on the shallow end, when it's easy. But out on the deep end, you can't stop swimming or you sink. And there's times when we need to have people with us that say, just keep on swimming, man. Keep on swimming. That when we go through the difficult times in life, we learned last week that there's only one way to live. Remember that? The word only. One of my Facebook posts this week was simply the word only. And I hope that it's a trigger word for us to remember Philippians 1.27. Only live in a matter, mono, there's only one way to live. And that is living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we turn the corner this week, and we're going to start talking about relationships for a couple of weeks. Part one this week, part two next week. Uh, Steve Vettito will be uh, speaking next week. Uh, as he mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm taking a small little chunk, and I'm going to give him a giant chunk to, to teach. But uh, part one this week, part two next week of how to make and keep relationships that When you look back on your life, who are the people that you had relationships with, friendships with, that deep, meaningful friendships? I think to high school, and I remember Bobby Snyder, my best friend, lived right behind our house. We lived in military housing, and uh, Bobby lived in a very dysfunctional home. Parents were divorced. And uh, the angst in the home was like no other home I've ever been in. Dad kept a padlock on the pantry and on the refrigerator. Dad, his dad was a battalion commander and said, there is a time to eat, and when it's not time to eat, you don't eat. Bobby was an all-state athlete that could eat 10 million calories a day and burn every one of them. But the pantry was locked and the fridge was locked. So Bobby would come over and he was a refrigerator friend. You know what I'm talking about? He'd come in the house and, what do we got? <laughs> I'm going to go back and touch on what I was saying just a minute ago. Do you have any refrigerator friends today? Friends that can come into your house today and open the fridge. They're that close to you. Telling you it's important to have those kind of friends. Now, choose wisely, otherwise your grocery bill is going to double, you know. So, anyway, I'm kidding. Bobby Snyder, man, we played sports together. We rode the bus together. Yeah, that's right, I rode the bus. Huh? We trusted each other. We could tell each other anything. We were best friends. I think of college. I think of my roommate, Jerry Melson. Jerry Melson is the one that uh, was a Bible major. I was a PE major. I was obviously intellectually superior. <clears throat> but Jerry is the one that one night when I was struggling with my faith and, and uh, God's part in my life, Jerry is the one that sat me down and said, Joel, you need to stop playing church, man. You're playing with God. 
You're going to church on Sunday. We go to our college ministry, and it was rocking, and you're doing all that. But, man, you, are, you have not given him your life. It is time for you to stop playing church and give God your life. Sell out, man. Do you have a friend that's willing to say things like that to you, that cares enough to risk a friendship and say the tough stuff? That night I sat on my bed in my dorm room, third floor of Anderson Hall, Hardin-Simmons University. And Jerry and I prayed. And I actually believe, I look back on my life, and that is the night that I gave my life to Christ. I prayed years earlier to ask him into my heart, but it was that night, my freshman year of college, that I gave him, I surrendered, I put my hands in the air and said, I'm yours. You got friends like Jerry? You need one. You got to be intentional. I think about my coaching career, and I automatically go to John Reidelhuber. When I first came into coaching, in fact, I got a call on 8888 and was offered a job with Abilene Independent School District to coach football and soccer. Soon after that, <clears throat> this big old barrel-chested, all-American defensive lineman from the University of Arkansas took me under his wing and began to pour into me and coach me, keep me out of trouble, walk me through the ropes of the coaching world. John and Stacy were Catherine and I's best friends. We loved their kids, watched them grow up. God called me into the ministry in 2000, and in 2001, shortly after we came to Colorado, John lost his battle with colon cancer and died at the age of 48. I will never forgive John Rydell Do you have friends like that? Relationships that you can, you can call on, you can bank on, that people will be there for me, man. No matter what I'm going through, those friends are there. I think about friends since I've been in the ministry. I think about when I started seminary in 2001. One of my professors named Steve Vetito didn't know me from any other student other than I was just sitting in his class. And he began to pour into me from a distance, coaching me and mentoring me like he did all the other students. Over time, we got to know each other a little better. And then I moved from one ministry position to another, and then another day he gives me a call and says, Joel, do you mind if I submit your name to the search committee at our church at Community of Grace? And I said, Steve, uh, you can submit it, <laughs> but I'm the least qualified candidate on that list. And a friendship began there, one that I'm thankful for. Steve Vedito, I'm thankful for you. Someone that believed in me when I didn't. You got friends like that? I think of Ben Ramsey, who has become like a brother to me. 
You got friends like that? You need one. I think of Eddie Bennett and Sterling. I think of Chris Hart. I think of Joe Brawley. You got friends like that? Friends that you can vomit on and they'll take it. Vomit smells horrible and it's ugly and it's gross. But these kind of friends that we're talking about are willing to take it. And they'll clean up and they'll help you clean up. And they'll coach you through difficult, difficult times. Friends, I, I can't stress this enough. If you don't have friends at that level, I want to encourage you to search them out. Don't walk this life of difficult things alone. Paul is speaking to a church who is thriving. In fact, he starts chapter 2 with, with kind of a given. In our English translations, it kind of comes, it comes across as a, as a question. He's not asking a question. He's saying, since this is already there, since you're already experiencing this. And then he goes into some fundamental basics of friendships that we all need to have. So if you'll open your Bibles. So if you'll open your Bibles. All right, there we go. To Philippians chapter 2. And stand with me as I read God's word. <clears throat> this morning I'm going to read it out of two different translations. I'm reading verses 1 through 4. I'm going to start by reading the English Standard Version. A very uh, literal translation. Then I'm going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And read Eugene Patterson's version, The Message. Uh, which is a paraphrase, it's their opposite ends, but I think you'll appreciate the two. Let's read God's word. Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. The message says it this way. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. 
forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Father, we ask this morning that your word would truly be alive in our hearts, that we would consider our relationships that we have in our lives, and that we would take steps to help them thrive. Lord, we need your input. We need your presence. Holy Spirit, we need you to shower us with your presence. I pray that our love would abound more and more for one another, for you, for your word, for your church. I pray this in your name. Amen. So how do we make and keep relationships that thrive? First of all, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 2. <clears throat> and, and he gives us four little uh, uh, statements, four little conditions that he's not asking if they've happened. He's saying since it's present. He says, so, so if or since there is in, there is encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he lists four things out there, four items, that we as followers of Christ already experience. Have you experienced the comfort of Christ's love? Have you? Have you, have you uh, participated with one another, uh, participated with the Spirit of God and Him speak into your life and Him guide and direct you and give you counsel and give you comfort and share in His love. See, I, I, I'm suggesting, and just like Paul, that we have. And see, the influence of these things, these, these four items that He lists, any affection and sympathy, care and comfort for one another, since we have experienced this from Christ, Man, that ought to have a direct impact on my relationship with you and you and you. Because of what I have received, the comfort, the love, the share in the spirit that I have received, it ought to impact my, uh, my relationships in my life. Since these things are present, Eugene Patterson, the way he said it was, hey, do me a favor. Complete my joy. See, joy is a theme that is all throughout the book of Philippians. This inner presence, this inner joy, this inner... Man, I'm not even sure how to define the word joy. Paul says to complete my joy by being of the same mind. <clears throat> comfort that we receive from Christ should impact others. Do you reflect upon what Christ has done for you? Do you spend time in prayer just thanking him for all he's done for you? Strength and courage, direction, comfort should impact our relationships. Verse 2. He says, complete my joy. So on your outline, 
Number one, remember what, what you have in Christ should lead to relational strength. Number two on your outline. Remember that relational success is, more, is greater than individual success. He is instructing, he's coaching his people in the church to, to stop thinking about themselves so much. Think of others. Do you realize in our culture, what Paul is teaching is totally counterculture. We live in a world where we watch professional athletes uh, hold out for contracts that are made of monopoly money to me and you. We see a culture that's pressuring you and I to believe as they believe. Otherwise, we're the weirdos. We're the ones that are corrupt in our thinking because we stand upon the teaching of God's holy word. That my thinking is more important than your thinking. Don't you dare tell me how to think. And, and so, it's so individualistic. It is so me-centered. We are feeling pressure from all around us to, to what you think and who you identify with trumps everyone else. And because you stand upon the word of the God, you are the one that is, has a twisted thinking. That even happens in churches. That individual preferences oftentimes are taken as of more importance than the greater good of the body. That happens in friendships. That happens in marriages. That happens in the work environment. That looking and considering my personal preference is of greater importance than the success of our friendship, the success of our marriage, the success of our work, environment, goals, and this and that. Paul says, man, do me a favor. Be of the same mind. Get on one page. If believers cannot live in unity, hear me on this. The transformative power of the gospel comes into question. The very people that we are trying to reach, when they look at the church, when they look at the body of Christ, and if there is bickering and bitterness and anger and fighting and this and that going on, the, the very people we're trying to reach look at that and go, I don't get it. And the gospel, remember that one, the, the thing that really matters, I pray that your love may abound more and more so that you may discern what really matters. And that comes into question when the body of Christ is not, is not of one mind. Man, we're all pointed in one direction. And how else does he say it in verse 2? He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, that we love one another. Oh, it's critical. In the, in the realm of the church, it's critical. In the realm of your marriage, it's critical. This love for one another. He goes on and says, being of full accord, being of one mind, unity is a big, big thing that's being discussed here. 
being unified, united in, in spirit. It describes sharing the same attitude or mindset, namely the mindset of Jesus Christ. It points back to the purpose of encouraging the Philippians to stand firm together, side by side, for the faith of the gospel. Being unified. I want to take a time out here for just a second. And uh, I don't get nervous very often. Do I have your attention now? <laughs> but I want to bring something to the church that I believe God is leading me to lead our church. Something that I believe can be a game changer for our church. Over the last year, I have watched our two services that we have at Community of Grace maintain a level of, uh, of people in the room where there's more empty chairs than there are people in chairs. In fact, first service has probably taken the, the place of being the bigger of the two services. You can look around the room, church. God began to lay something on my heart. About a year ago, Ben came into my office, said something to me. Okay, I've been thinking that too. A couple of months ago, some elders reiterated the same thing. I had not talked with anyone, even my wife, about this issue. And church, I believe God is leading me to lead our church to unite our two services to one service. I believe it has been difficult for our church to find any traction, any energy when there's more empty chairs than there are people in chairs in our services. And I don't know if you can imagine what it might look like to double the amount of people sitting in this room. Instead of 90 people in a room, there'd be 150, 160, 70 people. I've been praying and I continue to pray that this is something that the church would look at and go, yes. So on April the 2nd, our staff, having presented to me and to our elders a plan for their volunteer staff, our elders who are behind it, we bring to the church today, moving from two services to one service on April 2nd. The service will start at 6 a.m., Okay, I'll compromise. No, we're looking at a 10 a.m. service, starting at 10 a.m. and going till about. <laughs> Y'all don't even let me finish my jokes. No, hey, so, so 10 o'clock service, and what we've been having is a 
10 to 11.15, hour and 15 minute service. So we're going to still aim at that, that aiming point. There won't be as much pressure if we go over a few minutes. But here's the deal. Here's the kicker. I, I'm going to try to be as gentle as I possibly can. But I think it's a game changer. I'm telling you, I think it's a game changer. That we gather as a body of Christ, that we come together 30 minutes, 45 minutes prior to the church start. So at 9.30, people start coming in, and we have refreshments, we have coffee, and people are reconnecting for the week. We are reunifying for the week. Hey, man, be of one mind, be of one heart, be of one share in the spirit. Come and get reconnected 30, 45 minutes prior to the church start. And then here's the deal. Ready? Hold on. Please don't be upset with me. And if you are, it's okay, because I think it's the right thing that about 10 minutes till 10 o'clock, guess what happens? People start coming in. It's crazy. It's crazy. I know it. Hey, listen, when the church service starts, Kyle says, welcome, everybody. We're going to join in worship today that the room is full, not the foyer. Can I get an amen? Church, I need your help in that. Because i got to confess to you. And I told the elders, I've got to say this from the pulpit. It is awkward. It is awkward when the only people in the room at the start of a service are our guests who show up on time. And the spattering of other people. And our church body is out there doing what our church body does so well. We love being around each other. We love community. And so I want to pour gasoline on that. But I also want to encourage our church to come in and let's celebrate together, unified, one body, serving the one God, the one true God, together. Now here's the other half of the vision. You ready? I hope that this change, and I know it's change, I hope that this change doesn't last long. I hope that this initiates an excitement amongst our body where we begin to, hey man, I'll be be excited to bring my friends to this service. We begin to see growth where, where in the not near future, we have to come back to the table and begin discussing other service options. That's my prayer. So, April 2nd, will you help me passing the word and passing the excitement that we're going to come together into one service starting at 10 o'clock on April 2nd. But at 930, 9.15 to 9.30, we're going to get out there and we're just going to be family for a while. Check in on one another, love on one another, starting April 2nd. Uh, if you would like to talk about that vision, that, that direction, please call Ben. <laughs> no, give me a call. Church, I, I'm telling you, I have thought about this and prayed about this. and I've talked with a couple of you. I've bantered this with our elders and I think it's a game changer. I'm excited about it. Third thing on your outline. 
Paul says, man, since, since the presence of Christ is in, in your midst, it ought to impact. It ought to impact your relationships. Man, that you have this, a love, the same love for one another, the, unified, you're together in one spirit. That ought to impact our, our marriages, our friendships. You know, before I get to number three, I have couples come and sit in my office at times. Every once in a while, they'll come in and they're just a checkup. We just want to see how we're doing. Other times, I get couples that come in my room and they're in the emergency room. I'm in trouble. And one of the things that comes to the surface for me almost immediately is that it feels like, it's my perspective, it feels like y'all are competing against one another. You're, you're, it's clash of the titans and no one's going to bend. I ain't giving in. And it's this battle. Paul is encouraging the church. We're not at war against one another. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Who is it with? It's with principalities of the, of the enemy, man. That's who, the, that's who our war is with. We're not, man, we're not fighting against one. Let's get on the same page, man. Let's be of one mind, of one heart. Let's share in spirit. We want the same thing. We want love. Love you and love God. Love one another. And today, if that's you, man, if that's your friendship you have with somebody, if that's your marriage today, let's come back to ground zero and let's start fighting together rather than against. Unity. Verse 3, he says, do nothing out of rivalry or of conceit, but in humility, circle that word, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Number three on your outline, though humility is difficult to practice at time, it is a powerful healing agent in our relationships. Humility. Humble yourselves. I can't wait to hear next week as Steve preaches about our example, the greatest example of humility. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If people think that Christianity is for weak people, weak-minded people, they have not tried on humility. Because there's people in your workplace that you'd rather wipe shards of glass in your eyes rather than humble yourself before them. Do you realize that humility is one of the most Christ-like things you can do? You might even be living in the same house with somebody that you find it very difficult to humble yourself. but it is an extremely Christ-like behavior. And Paul says since, man, there's, there's encouragement in Christ, there's comfort from his love, participation in the Spirit, affection, since that's, that's present, that must impact your relationships. Lastly, let's look at verse 4. I'm not giving verse 3 justice. 
I hope you'll go and read that over and over and over. But verse 4, he goes on to say, let, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This attitude is reflected throughout this chapter. We'll see it, we'll see it in verses 6 through 8. We see it later in the chapter. It speaks of looking, looking for, to notice, keep your eyes peeled for someone and someone else's needs, someone else's interests. This is so countercultural, our culture says, look out for your own first. And Paul says, don't ignore yours, but look out for other people's interests. Hey, help them succeed. Look out for them. The Thrive idea for today is that humility is the secret ingredient for thriving relationships. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and <clears throat> we not only lay our church before you, but we lay our relationships before you. Father, I, I can only imagine that there are friendships that are strained, that are upon people's hearts right now. It would be silly for me to think that every marriage in the room is, is hitting on all cylinders. There might be some marriages in the room that are, the timing is off a little bit. There might be some marriages that are stalled on the side of the road. And today, Lord, no matter the situation, no matter the case, I'm asking you to come and intervene to pour yourselves in that there would be a participation in the Spirit. Lord, that we would see healing in the name of Jesus. That we would see reconciliation in the name of Jesus. Lord, I want to claim that. Father, the only, the, the way that that happens is that we follow your example and we humble ourselves. Oh, in the body of Christ where, where we might think that my ministry is more important than yours and my, what I do is more important than you, Lord, that we would be known as a people who are pointed in one direction. We are unified in one love and we are a people that, is, that are quick to humble ourselves. Lord, I pray that the application of this text would be a game changer in someone's life today. That even in this moment, in the quietness of this moment, that you are already at work. I'm trusting you in that, Lord. Father, have your way. Encourage hearts today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your comfort. That we can interact with your spirit, Lord. That we can listen for guidance. 
We thank you for giving the name of community of grace its name. Because, Lord, I pray that it is very descriptive of the group of people you have called to serve in this body. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.